guys, my name is Alex, and you're listening to the Thousand Movie Project Podcast. Listening specifically to the second installment in my exhaustively comprehensive account of the second job I just picked up, working as a server in a pizza parlor in Coral Gables. And I want to start off the episode by telling you something I probably shouldn't tell you, same way I probably shouldn't have told you at the outset of last week's episode that I got this job by lying on my resume, but it, it, it got, it's something that got under my skin, and I feel like I should talk about it. Now, as a server, it's it's taken for granted that people are going to mistreat you here and there. People who are deep down in their tummy of tummies, just small human beings. It's very reductive kind of armchair psychologist to go on about it in this way, but what happens is they find themselves, people find some, some guests, some horrible guests, they find themselves in this superficial position of power over you for the course of their meal, and they're going to use that position of power to let out some of their anger, to sublimate their shame over the fact that nobody fears and reveres them or, or something out in the world. And so they're going to complain about things and make you grovel and beg their forgiveness and whatever. I guess they get a small high from it whatever. It happens. Like a couple weeks ago, a woman told me that her pizza was overcooked. Like she beckoned me over to her table with this witchy curling of her finger. And when I got there, she grabbed a slice of pizza and she flipped it upside down and she pointed at these little splotches on the underside that were crispier than others, that were darker than others. And she looked me in the eye and she told me, with a contempt one generally reserves for lawyers, I think, that I hadn't just ruined her appetite with this bad pizza. I'd ruined her day. And frankly, like, once upon a time, that would have fucked me up. Because I've got, like, this guilt clitoris that's hyper... Basically, I'm basically just a bundle of nerves when it comes to disappointing people. And anytime someone whips me with their disappointment, my whole body shudders, and, like, the sensation is way more pronounced than if that made it sound like a kink. My sexual routine has, like, nothing to do with that. As a matter of fact, like, I can't... (laughs) I was gonna go on for a minute there about, like, oh, no, there's no, like... If someone, like, the slightest bit of pain, I just, just totally takes me out of any kind of sexual mood. Like, if someone bites my neck a little too hard, or, like, my ear or something, I'm like, (laughs) or, like, they twist my nipple or something, I'm like, okay, we have to stop having sex so I can, like, pace the apartment for five minutes and just calm down, because I'm really angry all of a sudden. Anyways, what I was saying is, like... If someone, if someone sort of whips me with their guilt, I, like, with, with, with just their disappointment, my guilt is like, oh man, I feel so fucking horrible. Which I think goes back to parenting. Like, that was definitely my dad's coup de gras. If I had done something stupid or something that made him mad, he would just, like, give me a stern look and he'd be like, Alex, I'm very disappointed. And now that phrase kind of, like, disarms me. I mean, not really that much. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna elaborate on that in this episode. But I think that working in hospitality... If you have that hypersensitivity to guilt, working in hospitality helps to to kind of minimize your vulnerability. Like when that woman told me that I'd ruined her day because the underside of her pizza had splotches on it that were more cooked than others, all I could think of was like, your life must suck. <laughs> like your life must be so horribly bereft of pleasure, pleasure from 
from music on the radio, or the breeze in your hair, or a meme that you scroll past on Instagram, if you seriously believe that the value of your day is contingent on whether or not your lunch was cooked to perfection. Anyway, shit like that happens, you very occasionally see just the ugliness of people. But I'm coming to realize that it's a sad kind of ugliness that makes people be that kind, that mean to their servers. It's a very mundane and pedestrian kind of cruelty that exists almost exclusively in the hearts of unremarkable people. A cruelty that I think is in fact the manifestation of a person feeling unremarkable and struggling to make peace with the fact that they will never go on to make a splash in history or to attract attention for their virtue. It's the cruelty that comes from a person who feels that they are special and that the world is just persecuting them by not acknowledging it. Like, remember, about a year ago, I did an episode about my former colleague, Reggie, who is in his mid-50s. He's very macho. He's clearly tormented by the fact that his wife is the breadwinner. He would talk all the time about how his future was sabotaged, and he would actually say, he would actually use the word ruined, he would say that his life had been ruined by his high school baseball coach. It's because his baseball coach didn't do some kind of paperwork or something that would have made him eligible to take a fast track to the big leagues. Like, imagine how allergic you must be to accountability if you're saying that the reason you aren't successful at 55 56 years old is because 40 years ago a fucking high school baseball coach didn't sign a piece of paper that might have given you a chance at playing in major league baseball he would get really worked up when he was talking about it like he would get angry and everyone in the room would become uncomfortable but like that's just pain, man. That's the pain of someone who genuinely hates his fucking life and feels like it's over and like it can't be salvaged. Reggie is the kind of guy who yells at a waiter. But we're not talking about Reggie anymore because that would be a digression and it is a firm policy of this podcast that we stick closely to the topic at hand. So I'm going to continue with my point. What I experienced at work today that ruined my mood um, wasn't cruelty per se, but it was a kind of human smallness. Here's what happened. I was serving the table on the patio. Sitting at this table was a couple that was roughly my age, early 30s, late 20s, and they ordered one of the most expensive pizzas on the menu. And so I, I went and I, I put in that order on the computer. Now, as this couple is sitting there waiting for their pizza, a family of three comes into the restaurant and they are sunburned, horribly sunburned. They've, they've all got blonde hair, and they've got an accent that I can't quite place. That It isn't even really all that discernible, unless you're listening closely. Like, like it made me think of that Reddit post where someone was like, if the whole world suddenly lost the ability to sneeze, how long would it take for us to notice? The nature of their accent was something like that. And so the, these three people, they're, 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 they're sunburned. It's a, it's a husband and wife and a, like their teenage son, and they're all wearing short shorts, and the parents are out of shape, and the son is a, is a teenager with a kind of button nose, and he's got these oceanic blue eyes that look like they must have been adorable on a child, but now they look like they were stolen from a child. There's something uncomfortable about his face, where it's like he stole these features of a child and just crammed them into his genetics, which incidentally, that reminds me of a joke that Buddy Hackett used to tell. Let me just tell you the joke real quick. This guy goes into a doctor's office and he's like, Doctor, I've talked like this my entire life. I'm really self-conscious. I, I just want you to check me out and see why it is that my voice sounds this way. And so the doctor runs a bunch of tests, whatever, this, that, and the other. Finally, he brings the guy in for consultation, and he says, Listen, everything on your bill of health 
is perfect. The only thing that I see that might, you know, account for this strange voice is that you are... You have third testicle, dude, and I think you got a little too much testosterone, and so it's making your voice sound that way. And the guy says, well, that would explain why, you know, I just, I, I, when having sex, I overperform, I go on so long, it's... And so the doctor says, listen, it's, it's fucking not a problem at all, we can get you in the operating room today, and we can remove that third testicle. The guy's like, yes, please, doctor, I would be so grateful, thank you. So he goes into surgery, bim, bim, bang, that's the sound of surgery, and uh, when he comes out of surgery, he goes, well, doctor... This is the guy with the raspy voice and the third testicle. He goes, well, doctor, I, 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 I sound so normal. I love this voice. Thank you so much. And the doctor says, don't thank me, dude. Just go on and live your life. So the dude goes off and he lives his life for a while. And then a couple weeks later, he comes back to the doctor's office. He just walks right up to the doctor. And, and before, before even saying hello, he goes, doctor, listen, I really appreciate the procedure you did for me last week. But you know what? I'm realizing that a lot of shit that happened in my life was contingent on my having that third testicle. And so, um, I, you know, I, I've lost some virility. I'm, I, I, I can't perform in bed the way that I used to. So please, if it's possible, I'd like you to just give me back my third testicle. And the doctor gives him a sad look and he goes, I'm sorry, there's just no way we can do that. Okay, so these three people come into the restaurant. They look like if you tapped a magic wand on someone's foreskin and then that foreskin became a person, they just look weird. I don't, I don't like the way they look. And I'm really investigating myself here to see if it's some retroactive contempt because of what they did to infuriate me, which is probably... What they did to infuriate me is probably already obvious to you. But no, I'm not being retroactively contemptuous. I distinctly remember looking at these people and thinking they they looked they looked like if you poured milk into a mannequin until it came to life. So my colleague is gonna wait on these three people, but he's busy. So I escort them to the table next to the one that I'm serving. The one with the young couple who just ordered an expensive pie. And so they sit, I take their order and all they want is three waters. Gotcha. So I go and I pour the waters. I take it back to them and I say, your server will be right with you. A few minutes later, I cross paths with my colleague and I say, hey, what did that family order? And so he tells me they ordered a white pizza, meaning a pizza with no sauce, a white pizza with olives, onions, and anchovies. Because of course they did. Anyway, one thing leads to another. I get swept up in serving other tables. And then I get called over by the cook. A pizza is ready. So I'm not paying all that much attention, but we have this policy at the restaurant where if there's food in the window, even if it's not for your table, you take it to the table. So I picked up this pizza, not really paying attention to what it was. I run it over to those three people. They look at it. They look at me. They smile, say thanks. And then I fuck off. A little later on, I'm going about my business. And after a while, I see that my table still doesn't have their very expensive pizza. So I go to the line and I say, hey, I'm waiting for this very expensive pizza. And the cook says, it already went out. And then he gives me a hard look and he says, you took it to table X. Of course I did. So I go to that table with the, the family of the sunburned family of three. And I approach them literally as the mother is eating the last slice of the very expensive pizza that they did not order. And I say to them, did, did you guys order this pizza? And with no compunction or shame at all, they chuckled in unison and they told me that they did not. It's like I, I, I hear them, I hear their response and I can't say anything. Partly because nothing is coming to mind. My brain is just a blank slate as I'm trying to compute what the fuck they just did. But also partly because I know that if I open my mouth, I'm going to tell these sunburned, scantily clad fuck. I'm going to tell them that they look, have you seen Terminator 2? You know when the T-1000 like reconstitutes his, his human form from a puddle of liquid metal? And so he's just like this humanoid silvery shape. That's what they look like except from semen. 
So eventually, after after blinking at them a few times, I just asked them again, You guys knew this was not your pizza when I brought it to you, and you ate it. And the woman looks me dead in the face, still chewing, and she smiles and shrugs and says, I just thought there was some language barrier, and you thought we wanted it. And, I, and again, I started blinking, and I was like, language barrier? You thought I was gifting you a preliminary pizza because of a language barrier? We're both speaking English. And let me say this humbly, I... I'm pretty good at English. I'm not good at most things. I'm not good at Jenga. I'm not good at sex. I have never once in my life managed to to flip a fried egg successfully. But the one thing that I'm good at is communicating with people in English. I did not come to you like some kind of tongueless speaking spell like Do you want this pizza? I made it for you. I came and I announced the name of the pizza. You three fucking sentient tonsil stones went, ooh. You made the noise of people who just received something that they ordered. And then, after I had announced what it was, you all thanked me and started eating it right away. And I know, listener, what, what you might be thinking. You might be thinking, Alex, calm down. What they probably meant was that they thought you had misunderstood their English, and they didn't want you to feel embarrassed at having misunderstood their order, so they just ate it. And you know what? That's a very compassionate perspective. And I think that you are a good person for having allowed that to cross your mind. But you're wrong. And you know how I know that you're wrong? Because they tipped their server $4 on a $40 tab. Because they suck. And then I had to go to the table beside theirs and beg forgiveness and be like, sorry guys, your very expensive pizza is taking twice as long as it's supposed to because these fucking jizz stains behind me ate it. And look, it, it was my fault. I should have been paying attention to which pizza I was taking to which table. But also, I mean, not to be like Reggie and just flagrantly shirk accountability, but if someone handed you a meal that you had not ordered, would you take it? I mean, maybe, like, remember I mentioned at the top of the show that I've got, like, that guilt clitoris and I, I beat myself up every time I make a mistake at a restaurant? Well, part of what I'm very slowly learning, now that I'm a little over a month into this job, is that for all that I fuck up on a given shift, for all the things I forget to ring in, for all the things that I drop and spill and whatever, the frequency with which, you know, I'm putting in someone's pizza, I forget to add that they wanted mushrooms and peppers, and now we gotta throw away the whole pizza. For all that I do that shit, the restaurant does not burn down. When I'm cashing out at the end of my shift, I routinely find that I sold over a thousand dollars worth of, of food and drinks and whatever, and the restaurant is paying me like five bucks an hour. Like, what? So if we lose, you know a $30 pizza pie because I forgot to ring in some toppings or because I accidentally fed it to a trio of rancorous, spunk, bubble, sunburned pizza fiends. If I lose that pie, which sells for $30, it doesn't mean that I have cost the restaurant $30. I'm frankly not sure that I've cost the restaurant $1 in terms of the materials that they use to make it. Which, incidentally, I mentioned, like, they don't pay me minimum wage, which, which it, that is not... It's not, it's not my intention to speak badly about the restaurant. I love this job. My managers are cool. My colleagues are cool. I dig the food, the vibe, everything. But you know, this is actually something that my ex-girlfriends always had to deal with. When I'm in a relationship and I'm happy, I never feel comfortable going to my friends and just rhapsodizing about how happy I am. That seems obnoxious. So when things are going well in my relationships, I tend to keep it to myself. No news is good news. But then when things are going poorly, whenever I'm frustrated with my partner, that's when I go to my friends and I fucking talk and talk and talk. And as a result of this, my friends are always telling me when I'm in a relationship, you know, dude, I don't mean to talk shit about your girlfriend, but it sounds like she just, she just annoys you. But then I hasten to be like, oh no, you don't understand. I, I just don't want to ever brag about the cushy parts. Really, we get along all the time. But also, you know, I... Th 
I think part of my reluctance to tell you how much I like this job is, is rooted in something like shame. And I'm not sure why. I love the hospitality business. I spend so much time in coffee shops and bars. I'm genuinely interested in the profession, in service, management, the whole thing. And yet, like I made a joke at the beginning of last week's episode, like this self-effacing thing saying, oh, now I'm a server at a pizza joint. I guess I've reached, you know, the ceiling of my ambitions. And part of that is because I'm 29 and I've got a degree and loftier ambitions and whatever. But but I don't know. I, I, I like the work and I like the people, but I get so cagey about owning up to the fact that I like it. So even though I find myself being chummy, Mostly with like blue collar workers, you know, bartenders and servers with whom I can I, I can talk business and be casually vulgar in conversation. Because people who work in hospitality, they are by and large, you know, earthy people, meaning that they're on their feet all the time. They have to put on a performative, friendly face for the people that they serve. And so when they're in the back of the restaurant, when they're not having to put on that friendly mask, they tend to talk like sailors. Restaurants constitute the only work environments I've ever inhabited where I routinely hear colleagues announce with total comfort, hey, can you watch my table for a minute? I gotta take a shit. And those are my people. And yet, there's a kind of masochistic relish that I take, a kind of fuck you tone that I take when I'm hanging out with Bob and Linda, for instance, and they introduce me to their friends who are lawyers or engineers or whatever. And when those lawyers ask me what I do for a living, I go, I'm a busboy. Like here on the podcast, I'll say that I'm a busser. That's how I write it in my journal. That's how I describe it in fiction, whatever. That's how I describe it anywhere. I use the proper, dignified title, busser. But for some reason, when presenting myself as a busser, I opt for the more derogatory busboy, which isn't an epithet or anything, nor is it even an inaccurate label. But I think we all know that it's got like a venomous undertone, at least, or obviously, when it's being used to describe a grown man. So I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, so I've got this I got this job at a pizza place. At- <laughs>